You can turn in your Bible now uh, back to Proverbs chapter 1 where we uh, hopefully will conclude uh, chapter 1 today in Proverbs, uh, sort of an introductory chapter of sorts, and so it's taken us a while to work our way through it. Um, the theme of the book of uh, Proverbs, or one of the themes, is um, wisdom, and wisdom is contrasted with foolishness. Um, years ago, I was made aware of um, of a... Uh, <laughs> it's an award, actually, called the Darwin Award. How many have heard of the Darwin Award before? Uh, the Darwin Award, named after Charles Darwin, are awards. They were started in 1994, uh, awards given to people that don't just do stupid things, but do astronomically stupid things and in the process kill themselves and remove themselves thus from the gene pool, which in the guys that came up with this, the idea is that um, through natural selection, those genes don't get passed on, so that hence the Darwin Awards. Um, so there, there's ordinary foolishness and there is extraordinary foolishness, right? Let me just, um, by way of introduction, read a few of these to you. Um, James Bur- this is 1995, Darwin Award winner. James Burns, 34 years old of Michigan, died while attempting to repair his truck from underneath it while it was still in motion. Now, kids, don't try this at home, okay? That's, that's the point of this. Do not try this at home. Um, local newspaper, newspapers reported that Burns had asked his friend to drive the truck on a highway while he clung to its undercarriage in an ill-fated attempt to work out the source of the, quote, funny noise that it kept making. And uh, fatal endeavor there, okay? So don't do that. Um, another award winner, Akron, Ohio, 23-year-old Michael... Uh, Gentner is said to have swallowed a five-inch-long fish on a dare. When he began to choke on it, friends phoned an ambulance, but only said that their friend had, quote, eaten some fish. Paramedics were, yeah, paramedics were surprised to find its tail flapping in his mouth, and um, the deputy police chief uh, later said that he would probably not charge Gentier's friends I don't know what you'd charge them on. If I dare you to jump off a bridge and you do it and you're 23 years of age, you're stupid, he told reporters. So there you go. Next year's award, a conflict in Jerusalem uh, of an unusual nature. Uh, Israel's government had switched from daylight savings time. This is appropriate for today. Oh, by the way, I would welcome all of you to Sunday school that did not intend to come to Sunday school today. Uh, we do this every Sunday at 9.30. We'd love to have you again if you forgot to turn your clock back. Okay, back to the Darwin Award. Israel's government switched from daylight savings time a year early to accommodate pre-sunrise prayers. Okay, you got it, right? Now, the Palestinian Authority refused to follow along because they did not want to live on Zionist time. So they're going to keep their way of doing it. So a group of Palestinians attempted to synchronize the detonation of two car bombs in the city, but the timers had been set on Palestinian time while the drivers were running on Israeli time, and the bombs exploded an hour early, killing both of them. (laughs) I've got more. Uh, Back here at home in in Houston, Texas, a 19-year-old man named Rashad died attempting to play Russian roulette with a semi-automatic pistol instead of a revolver. Okay, don't do that either. Um, In Oregon, a man lost control of his truck and crashed it into a utility pole carrying high-voltage power lines. 
Later he was found lying face down beside the vehicle with a pair of pruning shears in his hands because police speculated that he had reached up to clip the sparking cable lying across his truck in order to get out of the truck. So uh, don't do that either. Um, Yeah, um, okay. So 33-year-old man was found stabbed to death in his own house with no indication of a struggle and no suicidal tendencies. But an inquest solved the mystery. Darren had bought a new jacket, which he believed was stab-proof, but he wanted to test its abilities. Now that reminds me, what was the country song? You know, 15, 20 years ago, the, the stupid people song, and the guy's going to invent, you know, he's watching the Discovery Channel, and the guy invents a shark bite suit, right? You remember this? And, uh, you know, how do you test a shark bite suit? What do you do? You, you jump into the pool of sharks, and you tell them if they hurt when they bite you, right? And I don't know if you survived that one, but anyway. Um, anyway, so you get the idea. Regular foolishness and extraordinary foolishness. Now, when we open our Bibles and we read what we've uh, read here, uh, we're going to talk today about the four, the four foolish people that we meet in Proverbs. The Proverbs introduce us to four different foolish people. And this is significant to understand the flow of the book and the nature of the book. Um, the, we're going to be introduced to three of the four today in our time together. So let's look at the section before us. And uh, we need to talk about the, the nature of the foolishness talked in the Bible. Because when the Bible talks about uh, fools, it doesn't have Darwin Award winners in mind. That's not, uh, we, we can say, yeah, th- those are dumb things to do. But that, that is not primarily what foolishness means when we think about the scriptures. Okay, so we'll talk about what it does mean here in a few minutes. But let's just look at our section in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 and following. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the end of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. This is what she says. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And because of that, verse 25, you neglected all my counsel. You did not want my reproof. So I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge. And they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way. They will be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of of the naive will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live in security and will be at ease from the dread of evil. We hear the echo there of Psalm 1, don't we, in those final couple of verses. Uh, so let's, let's think about this. We're going to talk today 
Uh, the title of the message today is Wisdom's Call. And we're going to talk about the nature of wisdom, the nature of folly today, and uh, see if we can come up with, with something of a, of a plan of what wisdom is, what it involves, and what rejecting it uh, will, what will happen to you if we reject wisdom. Now notice, first of all, uh, and you got to remember, Proverbs is, is really a poetic book, and, and we can't see that so much in the English, although it has this sort of proverbial, um, you know, short little statements with a punch that's typically memorable behind them. So we get that, but if you look under the hood into the Hebrew text behind our English version here, you would see uh, very poetic language being used here. And, and one of the ways, that sometimes we, we miss things like that, the way er, word order works or the way um, the meter, those of you that were English majors, there actually is a meter to Hebrew poetry. It just doesn't come across in, in translation. And, and frankly, most poetry in terms of meter doesn't across, come across in translation. That's one of the, uh, the limitations of it. But, but sometimes the poetic devices do come through in translation. And in our text today, we have a literary device that does come through in translation. And um, let, let's just, because... Uh, uh, we like to um, promote the English majors among us here. Uh, does someone want to take a stab? What literary device is being used here to communicate the message of wisdom today? What's that? Personification. That's right. And, and for those of you like me that slept through uh, poetry class in school, personification is when a writer takes an inanimate object or a concept or a thing and he writes about it or she presents it in a way like it's a living, breathing human being. And so that's what's happening here is Solomon uh, picks up his pen. He's writing, remember, to his sons, to his daughters. And in order to communicate the meaning, to, in order to make it more interesting, and, and this is any parent gets this, right? Sometimes you've got to make things creative if you want to get through to your children, don't you? I mean, you have to do that so you, you, you sort of break the voice of normality in order to try to get through to them. And Joan's smiling over there. She's a teacher. She understands that. And, and so that's part of what Solomon does. He, he personifies wisdom in order to make it more interesting for his children and I think more interesting for us. So what does that mean? He makes wisdom, you ready for this? He makes wisdom into a woman. Lady wisdom is being presented here. And what he's saying is, son, daughter, you want to get to know lady wisdom. You want to become friends with this woman that is wise and is godly and is mature. And if you will listen to her and if you will follow her ways and if you will heed her instruction, you will become the type of person that is godly and a life that is enjoyable and wise, and you will reap the benefits of all of the wisdom that God has for us. So that's the personification, okay? The wisdom personified. Now, this introduces for us one of the big ideas, not just of this section, but of this book. And I want to go ahead and, and introduce this to you, because I want you to be thinking about this as we go, okay? The book of Proverbs asks this question of the children that are listening, of the audience that's listening. And I think it's a question that we all need to ask of ourselves today, okay? Because this, this is the question the book is asking of us, the audience, okay? Ready? Here it is. Who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? And, and that's, not, that's not just, you know, I listen to this talk radio person or I read the newspaper or I listen to my dad when he gives good advice or... No, this is, this is broader. This is asking, 
where do you go when you really have a problem? Where do you go for counsel when you have things going on in your life and you need to know what to do? And what, what this book, what the book of Proverbs presents, and it, again, it echoes what we saw in Psalm 1, is there's really only two choices. There's really only two choices about who we listen to, who we choose to listen to. There is a narrow road that leads to life, and there is a broad road that leads to destruction. And ultimately, that is all the choices that we have. Now, notice Solomon as he unpacks this question for us. Notice how he does this. Look at chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the streets. Now, remember, this is wisdom personified. This is lady wisdom, right? Wisdom shouts in the streets. She lifts her voice in the square. So we get this picture of a, of a noisy, bustling uh, city square. Uh, think of, think of the, the courthouse square in Granbury here on a, on a wonderful, beautiful fall day. And there's people running around all over the square. There's always visitors. Maybe the car show's going on that weekend. You've got people running around. And we picture here, looking over Solomon's shoulder, this woman that's standing on a balcony or something like that, and she's shouting out to all the people shopping and going about their day and hanging about with friends and eating lunch on the patio. She says, come to me. I have wisdom to give. I have counsel to give. Now, now notice, notice the context. Verse 21. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. And at the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her saying. What is Lady Wisdom saying? Here's what she's saying. She's saying there are many voices in your life that are competing for your allegiance. There are many voices competing for your listening ear. Who are you going to listen to? Now, we, we, can, we can just stop for a minute and think about some of those voices today. Now, remember, this is a book written to young people. Where do teenagers, what are some of the voices in the life of teenagers? Let's just, can we just talk about that for a minute? Because I think as parents, as grandparents, as, as guys that are trying to shepherd the young people in our church, we need to know what those voices are. What are the voices that our young people are hearing today? What would you say? Peers. Peers. Music. Good. What's that? Facebook. Facebook. Social media. Okay. Video games, entertainment, there's sports. Um, you, I was thinking about the other day, watch, watching the crazy people, watching what crazy people do on college football day. Okay? Uh, I watched college football yesterday, and I was at a tailgate party for a college football game yesterday. And you watch some of the things that happen. And you want to believe there is a voice that people heed and listen to and give allegiance to just in college football, right? And I'm not saying whether it's good or bad. I'm just saying that's one of the huge influences for our young people. And and in the midst of all of that, what's the danger? The danger is a, that the heart of our young people would be led astray to one of these other voices that is competing with the voice of wisdom, which is the voice of Scripture, which is ultimately, we know, the voice of God himself. That's the danger. And it's not just young people. It's you and I. We, we have those voices too, don't we? 
We have to make decisions every day. We, we watch you know, social media or entertainment, and we, we watch college football, and we hear from bosses and peers and friends and family members and all these sorts of things, our vocation, our, the training we get. Um, none of you mentioned this, college. You want to say, yeah, there's some voices going on at college. Mike's going to graduate here. I just found out this December. Congratulations. Um, there are some voices going on in the college level. It's not just, well, let's teach you math or let's teach you science. There is a worldview. There is an ideology. There is a whole morality. There is a value system. And what Lady Wisdom is doing is she is standing up saying, there are many voices. And you know what? There is nothing but destruction behind most of those voices. Will you listen to me? Will you listen to the voice of wisdom? So there's many voices competing. We see there in verse 21. Now, now, and listen. To, I think I've already I've already shown this, but let me just say it clearly. Why is it important to recognize who you're listening to? Why is that a good question to ask? Well, here's what Proverbs is going to say. Because the voice you listen to reveals the type of person you are. There's the big idea. The voice that you listen to, what Solomon is going to argue, the voice you listen to reveals the type of person you are. And that's the danger. If we are people that want to honor God, that want to grow in maturity, uh, if you would say with me this morning that I want my life to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ and I don't want to be distracted from any other voice, if you would say that with me this morning, guess what? That's not just going to happen. That doesn't just magically happen. We have to heed the message of this book and we have to become aware. Can I ask you, I won't ask for a show of hands, but do you know, just for yourself, answer the question for yourself, do you know what are the provocative voices in your life that tend to draw your heart away from the scriptures to other things? Do you know what those voices are? Do you know what they are with your kids or your grandkids? I've got three, and, and can I tell you something? All three of my kids have different temptations. Have you noticed this? What tempts one hugely may not tempt the other. Which means as parents, as grandparents, as, as, as uh, the body of Christ, we have to become aware of the individual temptations. What are the voices that resonate the most significantly? And to be aware of that, and then what do we do? Then we shepherd them accordingly, don't we? we that's where we put our shepherding attention, our parental attention. Okay, So the voice you listen to reveals the type of person you are. Now, let's talk first of all, we've seen the... the First, there, the voice of wisdom. I don't think I said that. The voice of wisdom, wisdom personified. Let's talk secondly now about the reproof of wisdom. And to do this, I want to uh, highlight a little book um, by Jim Neuheiser called Opening Up Proverbs. It's, um, it's in the Day One series. I think we have a few copies in our bookstore. It's a great little uh, book on Proverbs. And if you want something just to kind of um, assist you through our study, that would be a great source. And uh, so I'm borrowing here largely from... Uh, from Jim's uh, book. Uh, Jim Neuheiser, of course, has been in our church a couple of times in our uh, counseling conference, a great um, uh, man and friend of our church, and um, uh, one of the, just a wise pastor that has helped us to think about Proverbs uh, through this book. So, so in his book, he introduces us to the four people that we're going to meet, the, the four different types of fools, if you will. Uh, there is the naive, 
there is a fool with a lowercase f, there is a fool with a capital F, and there's the scoffer. Okay, And we're going to see these characters repeated over and over again throughout the book of Proverbs. So I just want to stop and introduce you to them. Okay, the, One of the characters we're going to meet here in just a minute is the naive, or your Bible might say the simple-minded. Do you see that there? Uh, we see that introduced in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22. The naive ones, the simple-minded ones. These are young people that lack experience. They're innocent, not in the sense that they don't have a sin nature. They're innocent in the sense that they don't have a lot of street tread yet. They've not lived long enough to have wisdom and maturity yet. And this is the person, as Solomon thinks about gathering his children together, this is the category that very often he puts his children in. Why? Because they're kids. And they haven't had a lot of experiences. And because of that, they need instruction. They need instruction. And because they're naive, the danger is that they can easily be led astray. And we see that, don't we? We see how young people are just easily taken the wrong direction. Um, almost without any effort on their part at all. Now, there is hope, according to chapter 9, verses 4 to 6, there is hope for the naive if he or she will turn to wisdom. Okay, so we'll see how that works in subsequent chapters. The second person we meet in this book is the fool. There's actually two types of fool, two different Hebrew words used to describe the fool. So I'm going to introduce them to you as fool one and fool two. Or if you want, fool with a lowercase f, not as severe, fool with a capital F, more severe. So that there's a spectrum of foolishness here that this book introduces us to. Okay, fool number one that we will also meet... Uh, we'll see him here in, uh, where is he? Uh, da, 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 da. Verse 22, fools hate knowledge. Do you see that there? That's fool number one. What does he do? He rejects wisdom. He's morally insensitive. Is, is this an indictment on our society? Listen to this. Preoccupied with the things of the world and thus not concerned with the things of God. That's the fool. That's fool number one, fool with a lowercase f, as introduced to us here, and we'll see more about him in a moment. Fool number two, fool with a capital F, is more severe. He's a more experienced fool. And he loves folly, and he despises wisdom and instruction. We saw him back in chapter 1, verse 7. Just look back there for a minute. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it's not just a love for worldliness. He actually hates despises wisdom and instruction. Well, that's more severe, isn't it? So he's a more severe fool. He loves folly. He despises wisdom and instruction. Now, the last person we're going to introduce ourselves to at this point is the scoffer, the scoffer. And we also are introduced to him in verse 22 also. Who is the scoffer? The scoffer is the spiritual cynic. This is the hardened man or woman who mocks God. They're hardened in their heart to reproof. And the most notable um, danger of the scoffer is not that he's mocking God, but that he's on a recruitment mission to find other people to follow him. If you're a parent, this is the person of great danger. 
This is not the naive young person that just doesn't know any better. This is not the fool that's done some dumb things and is caught up in worldliness. This is not even the fool that says, you know what, I, I, really, I really don't like God's counsel and I'm not interested in his instruction. This is the person who is trying to pull your young person into a lifestyle of wickedness, of atheism, of mocking God, and of utter worldliness and foolishness. And, and, and the reason they're so dangerous is not just that they're recruiting, but they have hard hearts. Now, those of you that went through Hebrews with me uh, in the last couple of years, we know the danger of a hardened heart, don't we? Because Hebrews talks about that. And once you get to that place of being hardened, that is a very, very difficult place to move out of, okay? So we see the reproof of wisdom by being introduced to these characters. Now, with that in mind, let's look at our text. Verse 22. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. The, the, the repetition there that escalates is part of the poetry going on here. Notice, the naive. What does he do? He loves lacking wisdom. But he does so because he doesn't know any better. He's ignorant. Notice, secondly, the scoffer, who, according to this verse, enjoys mocking. He is making sport of mocking the things of the Scripture that you and I hold dear. Now, have we seen any of that in this political season? There it is. And... You know, the scoffer, according to the Proverbs, is the most dangerous person you can run into. So we need to think about that. And then the fools, uh, and you understand, okay, I'm going to say this, and, and some of you parents may not like this, but I'm going to say it anyway, and if I offend you, come talk to me later on, okay? The Bible uses a word. It's the word stupid, Okay? Now, for some of us in our family, we've decided that's not a good word to use in our home because in our culture it has usually a derogatory uh, uh, connotation or it's being used in some way to put others down. I understand that. I agree with that. That's not what the word means in Proverbs. Stupid is not a derogatory term. It's not a demeaning word in Proverbs. The stupid person is the person who is rejecting God and living out of conformity with his word. It's an objective term. It actually describes a person, a certain type of person. So I would suggest to you that when used in the Bible, the word stupid, rightly qualified, is a good word to use. Okay, so we got to decide as families whether or not we're going to do that or not. But that's what the word means here. That word fool that's used here that hates knowledge means a stupid person. And he's stupid because he hates the very thing that he needs the most. He's utterly rejecting the God who made him and who calls him into relationship with himself. Now, notice the reproof because Lady Wisdom has set up her... Um, She's up in the balcony at the square in Granbury, let's say, okay? She's up there. People are hustling and bustling. They're going about their way. They're eating lunch. They're talking with friends. They're enjoying shopping. And she appeals to this broken, sinful, foolish crowd. What does she say? Listen to her reproof. She says, first of all, how long are you going to keep doing this? You know, you've heard it said that, that a fool is a person who does the same thing the same way, and expects different results. 
And guess what? We look around us and we see people that are hurting, people that are struggling, people that are alienated from family. We see people in all sorts of worldliness that brings problems, financial problems, relational problems, marriage problems, parenting problems, addiction problems. And as a Christian and, and having a heart for the Lord and a heart for people, we look out there and we say, how long do you want to keep living like that? And, and do, you, do you hear the concern of wisdom? It's a reproof in the sense that you, you need to stop doing that. But it's a reproof that says, I don't want you to keep living like that. You know, the, the, psalm, uh, the psalms say that the way of the transgressor is hard and difficult. It, it's, it's a very, very miserable experience to live alienated from God. It, and it's supposed to be. Because it's not supposed to be fun and enjoyable and wonderful when you're walking around with this broken relationship with your Creator. That's, that's, that's in a sense, part of God's grace to help us to turn to Him. How long will you continue? Now, notice her counsel. Verse 23, turn to my reproof. Do you see that little word turn there? Some of you recognize that. It's actually one of several Hebrew words for repentance. So what is Lady Wisdom calling for this crowd of people to do? The the, the fools, the scoffers, the naive. She stands up, she clears her voice, and she says, How long are you going to do this? You need to repent. It's it's shuv. The the Hebrew word shuv, it literally means to turn. We talk about repentance. What's repentance? Repentance means I'm I'm going the wrong direction. I stop, I realize what I'm doing, and I turn. I turn away from my sin, I turn away from the wrong direction to the Lord for help, and I begin to walk in the right direction. Uh, repentance is a spiritual U-turn, right? It's a 180-degree turn. And that's the word here. It's shuv. It means turn. She says, repent, turn, and what? Receive wisdom. And we think of James chapter 1 when we hear that. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, now maybe if if you're new to Christianity or maybe it's been a while since you've been in the book of James, here's what the Bible says. What does wisdom cost? You know what it costs? It only costs you to put down your pride and humble yourself and ask. That's all it costs. It's free. And God says, if you, if you lack wisdom, come ask me. And, and, and James tells us, not only will give it to you, he will give it to you abundantly, generously. So we have, the, we have this amazing call to turn away from our foolishness and away from our folly, repent and turn to the Lord for help and receive his wisdom. Now, now the first mark of wisdom is what? The gospel. When we turn from our foolishness to God for help, we're crying out, first of all, for gospel help, aren't we? We're calling out, uh, Psalm is not explicit about that here, but we know in the whole of Scripture, when we're turning away from foolishness to God for help, that's a turning to God, a repentance unto salvation, isn't it? It's a putting of a, our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to Him. Uh, we'll see some of that language later on here. And then to begin to... Um, as, uh, as Jesus charges the disciples in Matthew 28, then to teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's wisdom. It's asking God, it's going to the scripture, and it's learning, and it's putting those things into application. Now, now notice, that's the reproof of wisdom. Turn to me, repent, there's help if you will turn.
Notice thirdly, the rejection of wisdom. The rejection of wisdom. You know what the sad reality is? Look at verse 24. Actually, look at 23. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. That's wisdom, personified wisdom saying, I will, by pouring out my spirit, I forgot to mention that. She just means you will receive wisdom. You will receive instruction. Verse 24. But because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. You know what the sad reality is, guys? Most will reject wisdom. If, and you've seen this. You've seen this with your family members that you're evangelizing right now, right? You've seen this with uh, coworkers. You've seen this with friends in social media and you're trying to have uh, gospel-centered conversations with them. You see them in your classmates at college, at school. You see them in the workplace. Uh, you, see, you see this everywhere. It's like, this is life. And most people say, not for me. And they go the other direction. I want you guys to see that the Bible predicts, that this, this is hard to swallow, but it will actually help us in our evangelism, okay? Listen to me. The Bible predicts that most people will reject our message. That's what it, sa- that's what it says here, but don't take my word for it. Remember the, the rich young ruler? He went away sad because he had a lot of stuff and he didn't want to give it up, Right? And, and, and Jesus is there having, Jesus himself just offered him the gospel. Jesus himself just offered him salvation and he goes, not for me. And he walks away, the, the gospel writers, writers tell us, grieving and sad because he didn't want to give up his stuff. Or how about this one? Three out of the four produce a crop in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower and the souls. The soils, right? The soils. Um, I was trying to do my, my southern accent there and failed. So, um, Three out of the four in Jesus' parable of the gospel going forth, landing on three different types of soils, representing three different types of people, only one of them is converted. Right? What's Jesus telling us in part? He's saying not everybody's going to believe. Or how about this one? Many take the broad road. According to Jesus, few find the narrow road. Remember that? The broad road that leads to destruction. And there are many, Jesus says, who find it. The narrow road, only a few. Okay? And remember what Paul told the Corinthians, that the wisdom of God is what? Do you guys understand that? There is a complete changing of poles when we think about our message according to the Bible. What is wise according to the Bible, most people in the world say, foolish. And what is in the world, foolish, is actually, actually, what they think is wise is actually really foolish. Um, and so we see that, that sort of, that, that, that change of poles in the message. That is how wicked and how fallen and how depraved and how broken we are in our sin. We, we call 
white, black, and black, white. I mean, we, we, we call darkness light and light darkness. Um, now, here's the parenting challenge, okay? Because remember, this is a parenting book. And if you're a young person, it's so important that you hear this, okay? You have many voices that are competing for your heart. And you have to work hard to listen for the voice of the truth of God in the midst of all the white noise of everything else. So what's the parenting challenge? To be a clear voice of wisdom that is heard. To be a clear voice of wisdom that is heard. Our voice as parents, as grandparents, as a body of Christ helping our young people here, our voice, we need to find a way to make the counsel of God, our voice as a parent, stick and be heard. Now, notice what I didn't say and notice what Solomon doesn't say. What's that? We can't make them turn. Did you guys hear that? We, we cannot manufacture conversion in the hearts of our kids. Okay, and, and, and you may be a hurting parent or a hurting grandparent because you're looking at your kids, your grandkids going, they're walking the other direction. Uh, we'll talk about the nature of conversion in children as part of our study here. But just for now, we recognize we have a role to be a faithful parent, a parent that shepherds by God's grace, a, a parent that sits down and engages in the manner that we've seen so far in this book. We have an obligation to work that our voice is heard amongst all these other voices and, and to use every biblical means that we have to do so. But only the Lord can change their hearts. Only the Lord can work salvation in the hearts of our kids, which means as well as being a faithful parent, a shepherding parent, a a striving for the things of godliness parent to be good examples, to be good teachers, to be good shepherds, it also means that all of us as parents and grandparents and support family need to be praying parents. Because praying on our knees, depending on God, is the way that we appeal to our Heavenly Father for the hearts of our children. And He alone can work salvation in the heart. And so we appeal to Him. Okay? That's the parenting challenge. Now, we've seen the rejection of wisdom, the reproof of wisdom, the voice of wisdom. Now let's look, fourthly, the consequences of rejecting wisdom. This is, this is amazing. Look at what, look at what she says. When your dread comes, when your calamity comes, when your calamity comes, verse 27, like a, a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. No, look at the language here. There's a repetition. There's four words used here. Two of them are used twice. Calamity, that means disaster. Dread, that means fear and danger. Distress, that refers to need. And specifically, this is interesting, anxiety. Isn't that interesting? What, what our culture puts in a psychotherapeutic context, God through His Word puts in a moral context. Do you see that? Solomon is saying, this is a spiritual problem. And I'm, don't hear me, I, I understand there are physiological things that can happen to you that, that create some symptoms of that. I get that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Solomon puts his finger on anxiety as a moral issue, a spiritual issue. 
Something that happens. Listen, something that happens because of who you're living for and which voice you're listening to. And anguish. The best translation of this word is pressure. I love that. Isn't that helpful? The way of the transgressor is hard. The, the broad road that leads to destruction is fun and wonderful and enjoyable for a little while. And then it will hurt. And then it will be painful. And then when life gets hard and you feel some of that pressure and some of that anguish and you turn to those same things that you have been hoping in and you will find them utterly impotent to help you in that moment. That's the result of foolish living. And we see it, don't we? We see it. No hope, anxiety, Danger, fear, pressure, disaster. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying here that everybody that rejects God, you know, there, there are some people, there are some people who totally reject God and die pretty well. They die pretty happy. And then they meet the Lord of the universe. So this is not just saying these are things that happen only in this life. Guys, hear me. For some people, these are things that unbelievers deal with eternally. I mean, read the book of Revelation sometime. And read what eternity without God is like. You you think some people have anxiety issues here? I I don't mean that to to be flippant or funny. I mean, anxiety with the needle pegged, a a totally different realm of spiritual anxiety that is pressed down upon a person for all of eternity. Notice, and wisdom in that day will laugh and mock. Now, we need to be careful because I I don't think this is saying... That God is laughing and mocking. There, there are other places, uh, Psalm two and others, that that talk about uh, God laughing at at um, uh, in his in his judgment of of um, of people that reject him. I don't think that's what we have here. What what this is just saying is there. Is, this is how I believe the poetry is working out. What what wisdom is saying is there will be great regret. There will be great remorse in the sense of I had the opportunity, somebody told me the gospel, somebody tried to to speak some sense into me, someone tried to minister the word of God. And guess what? Now it's too late. Now it's too late. Verse 28, then they will call on me, and I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Why? And this gets to the main point. Okay? If you miss everything else, get this. Rejecting wisdom means rejecting God. That's why this is so serious. A rejection of wisdom means rejecting God. Notice verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear 
of the Lord. Notice, they reject, first of all, his word. That's what the word knowledge refers to there. The fool rejects wisdom, rejects knowledge. What does that mean? It means they're actually rejecting God. They're rejecting his word. But notice also, they're not just rejecting his word, his counsel. They're rejecting him. That's number two. They're rejecting his lordship, the fear of the Lord. They they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. They said, I will live listening to another voice. And that voice, the voice of entertainment, the voice of a peer, the the voice of a vocation or an ideology or a boyfriend or girlfriend or a lifestyle or a hobby or whatever it is, I will live for that voice. It will be my master and ultimately it will become my God. It will become what I worship. And that false worship will destroy the person. They hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. So what's going to happen? They're going to reap what they sow, right? They're going to eat the fruit of their way. They're going to have their fill. Uh, The word satiated means to be filled up. They're going to be filled up with their own devices. They're going to reap what they sow. They're going to eat the fruit of their own way. It's going to come back either in this life or in the next And they will pay and reap the consequences of their foolishness. And that leads to the challenge. Okay? What's the challenge? There's two ways to live. Notice verse 32. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. Notice this. That word complacency actually means self-confidence. And that's very significant that you see that. It is the fool putting their faith and hope in themselves as they go their way, as they listen to other voices. That is what kills them. It is a, a self-confidence. It is, it's the same philosophy of Eve that said, did God really say, I think I'm in a better position to judge what I ought to do, and that self-confidence turns them away from God to these other voices, to these other idols, and Solomon says, if you do that, that self-confidence will kill you, and it will utterly destroy you. But notice the hope. Those who listen to wisdom and join confidence and a lack of anxiety regarding calamity. Notice verse 33. He who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Notice it doesn't say they're sheltered from evil, right? It doesn't mean nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. If you trust Christ and are walking with him in the ways of wisdom, it's not saying you're going to have a happy, pain-free life. What it says is what? You will be at ease from the dread of evil. That word ease means free of anxiety. Interesting, the the use of anxiety there, right? If you choose this way, you will experience it. If you go this other way, yes, you'll have to deal with some difficult things, but that wisdom and that relationship with the Lord in the middle of it will mean you will be at peace in the midst of the calamity and the problems and the troubles of the world. And as a father appealing to a son, he says, Son, which way do you want to live? And really that's the challenge today, right? Which voice are we listening to? Which path are we on? Which way are we pursuing? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great chapter of um, instruction about wisdom. Lord, I pray that we would be careful, oh, so careful, about the voices that we listen to, and we we would tune the frequencies of our heart 
to the voice of the Lord as revealed in the scriptures. And we would lock on to that and we would be undistracted from its message and its counsel and its principles. Father, I pray that we would be careful in ourselves and we would help our young people, whether in our own home or families or in our church family, that we would help them to to tune out all the white noise and focus in on the voice of the Lord, which is the voice of the scriptures. Uh, And would you work in the lives of our young people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.